0: your presentation Welcome in to another episode of the Florida Sound Archive podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Kaiser. And if you are tuning in, whether it be on YouTube or you're listening anywhere else, you get podcasts, you know what time it is. It is time for a new episode. I have a guest on with me. And let me tell you, I am just really excited to have this guest on. Because a lot of other guests I've had on have brought up this person over the course of many, many interviews. And that person's finally here, ready to tell his story. Drew DeMaio. Drew, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm good, Jeff, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
0: You and I actually have a a little bit in common here. And I think kind of going back to some of our roots, because you and I both went to high school in Coral Springs.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, which I think if <laughs> if you ever spent time uh, or you ever grew up, you know, just east of the Everglades, I think there's just like this sort of this natural bond that just happens from being kind of in the middle of nowhere, really, you know, it's like a, at least that's the way kind of I perceived it when I landed there, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Coral Springs. I have, I have some wild memories of that, of that city, of that town. And I, I don't think I've been back there and I could say South Florida as a whole, but specifically Coral Springs, man. Like anytime I meet somebody that's like, yeah, Coral Springs and it's rare, you know, but there are this, just these moments where you meet somebody, you know, in my work or just wherever, you know, and, uh, they mentioned Florida. I always ask like, oh, you're from Florida. Where, where are you from? And, you know, once in a while I'll get like, oh, Broward County, you know, Dake, Miami, you know, West Palm Beach. And, then you know, it's always like a conversation from there. Um, so I'm, I'm a native New Yorker and uh, it was a huge, uh, huge culture shock. Like it was really different. And, and there's a lot that, that goes with that. But my grandfather moved down there in the 60s um, and, uh, you know, he was a, a lifelong uh, Long Island and Brooklyn guy. And, um, he, uh, you know, he just, you know, whatever, like he had some sort of health issues or something. I think it was like some sort of, you know, arthritis of some kind. And, and he, he wound up moving down there early when my dad was just, uh, like fresh out of high school. Boom. He's out. My dad's out of the house. Boom. He's him. And uh, my grandmother moved to, um, St. Petersburg. So we spent a lot of time in Florida as kids, uh, you know, visiting my grandparents. And uh, yeah, it's kind of, I guess going on in a different direction <laughs> already, but um, <laughs> this is how I I work. so <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I remember my mother asking me once we were, we would visit my grandpa and we just had a, it was always great, you know, we'd see the theme parks and we'd go fishing and we'd hang out on the beach and you know it was it was it was awesome, you know, like, and my grandpa was a was a really great guy and um, So going down there was always so amazing. And I just always remember like getting off the plane, you know, when you get into the, you know, the catwalk there, you know, and it's like, boom, this like wall of like humidity and hot air, like, like you're walking into an oven just hits you because prior to that, you've been in this air conditioned tube for the last, you know, three hours. And then prior to that, you were in gray cold you know, disagreeable weather. So it was just like, oh, man, even as a kid, I just remember like getting off the plane, feeling like, whoa, like we're on <laughs> a different planet. You know, this place is so crazy. And uh, my mother asked me once, you know, we were going through a school zone. I mean, I could have been more than 10 years old. And I remember looking at the, uh, the kids and I go, mom, look at all these kids, you know? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Would, would, would you ever want to live in Florida? And I was like, you mean I can live here? You know like I didn't know that like to me the, the <laughs> to me Florida was was and I don't I don't mean this to kind of feed into the stereotype that all these old people live here but I just didn't know it was for children you know um I I just associated with my grandparents and older folks and it just never occurred to me that it was a place that people lived it was a place that people went to go on vacation
0: Did you have your first concert experience in Florida
1: Um, my first real rock concert was Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses. And Guns N' Roses opened. They were the opening band. And this was in my freshman year of high school, which would have been 1987. And they played, they played at a place called, uh, the Hollywood Sportatorium. And, um, now, admittedly at this time, and I love Motley Crue, like they'll just put it on the record that I'm a Motley Crue fan, um, at least when it comes to, you know, their, <laughs> their older records, you know, the first couple records and, you know, maybe Theater of Pain, their third album. That's about as far as I go, I think. Um, but I, but, but I really wanted to go to a rock concert and I'd never been, you know, we were, we were poor, like my mom, we you know, we were dirt fucking poor and. There was no car, no access, and and certainly no internet, and uh, didn't really have any friends that had cars, at least not at that point. And, uh, you know, Hollywood Sportatorium was 45 minutes away. You know, this was Western, well, Hollywood, right? So I couldn't even tell you where it was. I know it's not there anymore, but... Right. Um, um You know, I just was dying to go to any rock concert, and I kind of had phased out of Motley Crue at this point. I mean, we'll probably... Um, I'll probably run you through my 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 uh kind of cornerstone bands but um uh i was really listening to a lot of metallica and slayer at this point so motley Crue were like eh whatever yesterday's news but but i really wanted to go to a concert they were coming into town a guy that lived in my neighborhood my apartment complex we lived in like this this shitty little apartment complex uh, just off of atlantic boulevard by the coral square mall which i know you know where that is
0: of course i've stepped yeah. foot in that mall more times than i probably can <laughs> oh
1: yeah man totally i could uh, yeah a lot of a lot of coral square mall time spent a
0: lot you remember the mall. coral springs mall
1: oh yeah This we used to call it the zombie mall because yeah. was just like dead and
0: uh did, did you ever go to sid's inside of that mall
1: oh yeah, yeah. totally yeah 100 percent sid's records was great yeah um we used to have a friend that worked there jimbo jimbo smith who would kind of turn us on to a lot of bands? He was a, a cool dude and uh well more versed in 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 um you know punk rock and stuff like that than than I think a lot of us were. And he was just a, you know, he was our age, but the dude's working at like this cool record store prior to Sid's. Um, oh man, so many, you know, we could really spend this whole podcast just talking about Coral Springs, <laughs> just because it was uh it was very formative, you know, it's just right. all, everything regarding me and look, you know, you're 12, 13, 14, 15 high school. I mean, this is where all this happens, right? So for me, this all happened in Coral Springs, but, um, um, a lot happened in terms of me wanting to play music in terms of me wanting to perform for lack of a better term. I I never really, really looked at it that way, but that's really what it is, right? Just the, the, and, and keep in mind too, and this is really important that, you know, this is the early days of MTV, my parents you know my dad you know was a, a real kind of he loved his toys and he liked technology always running around with the, you know the earliest latest technology with video cameras and stuff like that and i really thank him for that because it really got me interested in in not technology in the way of computers but in the way of like you know utilizing tools to express yourself you know and that and he was a very expressive guy so uh, even though he he wasn't particularly a musician or anything, but, you know, I think, uh, he always put me and my brother, like sort of on stage anyway, Drew, get over this, get next to your brother. Okay. Smile. And he was like the director, you know, okay, do this. You know, And, um, he, he was also like kind of a, you know, he was a businessman. So it's like, you know, to him, it was like, you know, I don't know why you're only in one band. You know if you if you're in like 10 other bands you have more chance of making it. You know like that was his philosophy, you know. And uh, so I think I, I be- think
0: you did you fulfill that that uh that, <laughs> well, that promise maybe that was made. To-
1: yeah, but but only out of <laughs> just like yeah, yeah, I'll play with you guys. Yeah, I'll play with you guys. Like I was just always,
0: you know, eager
1: to to do to do something, you know. And part of it was because nothing I ever put together lasted very long, you know. Uh and that's sort of just like you know, it can be just the life, the life uh, cycle of a lot of you know collaborative projects. Just they just hit a wall. You know, it's like any relationship. You to point where it's just like, eh, it's not fun anymore. Or you move on, or people move away, or you know, just just not there anymore. But um, yeah. So anyway, because my dad, you know, was cable TV. I can watch you know, the Playboy channel and all my favorite old movies. And he was a big cinephile. My dad loved movies. And, and I, we, I do too. My brother and I both were, were just, we spent every weekend in in the movie theater, like, you know, he was really into cinema and he always knew all the actors like, ah, it's all of that guy. And, you know, somebody he grew up with watching in the fifties or the sixties, you know? So, uh,
0: what's one of your favorite movies?
1: Um, Wow, I have a lot, but it um, could change. It could
0: change in in an hour yeah, from now. I, but what's I, one that comes to mind?
1: One of my favorite movies, I mean, has to be John Carpenter's The Thing. Heck, have you ever seen it? Have,
0: seen have, it? have I seen it? I've seen it. Yeah. I've I've seen it as many <laughs> times as I've been to the Coral Square Mall. <laughs> yes,
1: that many times.
0: Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, maybe more yeah. now. Yeah, maybe that more. was a,
1: so you know good. <laughs> Funny we're talking about movies. So my dad was, had no qualms of bringing us into rated R films. Like I think he kind of looked forward to, I think he thought it was like kind of like his way of being like, yeah, fuck you. I'm bringing my kids into this fucking movie. Like, you know, that's what's happening right now. So we saw like Scarface in the theater, you know, and, uh, but the, but, you know, sci-fi horror, that was our thing, man. You know, Fangoria magazine and, uh, obviously the star Wars films and, and he took me to all those in the theater you know when i was you know very young i he really took me to see, see airplane in the theater you know it's just like who like who takes their kid to see airplane which let's be honest is a, is a is a comic gem but <laughs> yes yes it uh, in did, my a lot,
0: mind. <laughs> did a lot of these did, did seeing a lot of these movies and also even some of the the scores to so some of like the, the the film scores did any of this have an influence on your music in some of the bands you played with over the years
1: i i think so um so alex and i actually worked at a at a job together where we sold vintage movie posters run by this guy that managed movie theaters for many, many, many years and had amassed this collection of like original movie posters. So and um we worked at this 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 job together at so I had met him, but I knew he was like in one of the local bands, Ankle Biter. And I like the band and we, we knew each other right away and and we connected over that. we connected over music, we connected over film, uh we connected you know cinema, we you know just a, a lot of things like that. And he was just so different than anyone I'd ever hung out with in high school. I like guess high school was my metal dudes. And, you know, after high school, my punk rock dudes. And, and this guy didn't, he didn't know any really come from much of any of that. He's like, Hey man, you want to go listen to some Harry Belafonte? I'm just like, what? Harry Belafonte. And then he's like playing. I'm like, Oh yeah, I fucking love Harry Belafonte. <laughs> so, you know, or like U2, we connected over U2. That was a band that we were both, cause I'm a, I'm a big U2 fan. And, um, uh yeah so and and so we came from a very um you know cinematic place yeah and argentina was mostly instrumental so and that was sort of you know intentional you know it's like let's just let's just make music. and and these guys to be to be you know to be transparent you know i i think i added an element to it but the beauty and the music was already there like alex and mario just the the two of them just had just uh this like i it's one of those bands it's one of the bands that i can kind of listen to that i've been a part of without judgment because i feel like i'm a little detached from it you know where it's like if it's something that, that i was a big part of songwriting wise i don't even want to listen to it like it, i get it i was there you know like i it kind of like we talked about i think uh off uh, mic about Johnny Depp, never watching his movies or something like that, you know? So yeah. it's like, yeah, eh, but mm-hmm. I can listen to Argentina, you know, I can put that music on. So, um, but again, you know, it's that, that cinematic thing I love. Yeah. Movie soundtracks. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> um, I was lucky, you know, uh, I feel like there's just so much to talk about that builds up to like my music stuff, but, and I'm happy that, you, you know, anyone would want to hear it, but, um, I was very fortunate, you know, like, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I lived in an apartment complex. It was just, I feel like it was nothing but like divorced moms doing their best to try and like keep it together for their kids. So we would come home from school, uh, middle school where, where I, where I met when I, where I moved, we moved into this when we first moved to Florida, we met these guys, Met met a crew of guys of kids. You know, we were twelve. You know, when we, and um I was so you know looking back, just so grateful for having met them because you know it, we had each other. You know, like we came home from school. There's no mom around. There's no parents. There's no dinner. You know, like if it didn't go in the microwave, it didn't get eaten. You know, like that was it. Or it was like bowls of cereal. So we'd come home, and rather than like. I don't know, sit alone somewhere. We had this apartment complex to just meet up after school in, you know, uh, in the apartment complex by the pool area or downstairs from our apartments. And, um, you know, the bikes would come out, the skateboards would come out, you know, the little push scooters would come out, whatever it was. And we would just, you know, spend the whole evening doing something, you know, playing tag or chase or, or playing football or jumping in the pool. And then, you know, one of the older guys, you know, would like, uh, come out with, you know, like, you know, some, you know, boom box and play some like crazy metal. And we're like, Oh, what is that? You know? And, um, I think that was the first time I was really exposed to like really heavy music, you know, first time I'd ever heard Metallica. And I remember hearing it and being like, dude, I didn't know guitarists could do that. You know, it's was so scary. And then right. and shit like that. And and just like, you know. So that definitely led to, you know, a whole, it really opened me up to a lot of music outside of pop music. Because, you know, in the early 80s, you know, Madonna, ACDC, Def Leppard, uh, Michael Jackson, I mean, these were, they were all under one roof, really. It was just, you know, whatever was on MTV. But to, you know, like Iron Maiden or... um metallic or stuff like that slayer you know that's really where you know music took a different turn for me and that's when i decided i want to play guitar so that's when i picked up a guitar i was about 14 my mom had bought me a uh a guitar at a store i don't know if uh it was around in your day jeff but it's called f sharp music i and don't it was- remember it it was on sample road remember sample road worse sample road And, uh, it was just in one of those little shopping plazas there. And I got a, I wanted a guitar that looked like Kirk Hammett from Metallica. It's like whatever looked like the guitar he had on the poster that's in my room. I want that guitar, mom. And I picked out this Kramer. Uh, God, man, I wish I still had this guitar, man. I, and I, I just completely gave it away to a friend, like in, in pieces. I think I took it apart for fun and never put it back together, but, um, yeah, it was like this, this flying V, you know, flying V, but it was, it was what they called an angle V. So it had this short point and this one long, long point that went out and it was a Kramer. And I'm just like, and Kramer in 1987 was like, like a big, a big brand of guitar. You know, they were the rock brand of guitar. Uh, at least I think the affordable brand, I don't, I don't know. But, uh, and then some big rockers played Kramer or whatever. But so that was my first guitar. And, um, yeah it was uh you know I, I i was just lucky because you know my buddy tim picked up a base he lived right in that same apartment complex with me and uh you know we would start playing together and then we'd watch mtv and then we'd you know okay what what t-shirt is you know the dude from metallica wearing oh uh, he's wearing a faith no more shirt well, who's this bad faith no more i don't know but we got to find it but was he, this like, around you know, the
0: same time though it was like the time Frame you're talking about is this yeah. around the same time when you discovered local music as well from Florida? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. In a, in a roundabout way, yes, because I started taking guitar lessons <laughs> from a guy that lived in Coral Springs. He played in a local band, and they were a local metal band. And the, the name of the band was called Ambugalard. I took guitar lessons with this guy. His name was Dan, and Dan was really into Star Wars now mind you this was like between star wars films so star wars wasn't like a thing anymore it was way i you know there hadn't been a star wars you know movie since uh you know the, the early 80s you know it's like star you know there wasn't any toy there weren't any toys really in production but he collected old star wars toys. and i had all these old star wars figures so i would trade him star wars figures uh for guitar lessons and you know, he was a metal dude. So of course, you know, we're we're kind of uh, you know, we're 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 shred, trying to shred basics what's happening. And uh I would go see his band play, you know, that they were kind of like local heroes. In fact, uh the other guitar player I went to high, he was in my high school. And this guy, Jordy, went on to play with Marilyn Manson for a long time. But uh, so so they were these were guys in my high school, whatnot.
0: Where were you um, seeing them play? What 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 venues,
1: oh clubs? God. In those days, uh, one weird it was like this weird biker bar off Dixie Highway called the Treehouse, and it was like in Hallandale. I mean, I remember going there, and it, we'd go there because we were, you know, they would let underage kids in. Like we'd carry their amps in and go see him, and then um, you know there'd be like a little <laughs> fucking mosh pit or whatever, and then like all these other weird metal bands would come up. And I remember seeing this one band play. And this has kind of sort of shifted my perspective a little bit. Okay. The name of this band kind of says it all, but the name of the band that they played with that night was called Nazi Satan. I know it's just like ridiculous, right? Nazi Satan. That was the name of the band, mm-hmm. We never saw them again. But this was, they, these guys were like playing with these metal bands, but they were like punk rock, you know, they were a punk rock band. And looking back now, ha- you know, having listened to a lot more music, I mean, they were pulling from, the Ramones, you know, they were pulling from the Sex Pistols, you know, stuff like that. So, but, so I hadn't really heard anything like that before, you know, that was a different thing. I mean, I heard, you know, rock the Casbah on MTV in the early eighties, you know, um, you know, from the, but never really like what, what I guess we'd consider kind of quintessential, you know, punk rock, but I loved it. I was just like, dude, this is something different. You know, this is, it's not, the chugga chugga it's something else and it's like far more angrier and it's just I feel like it has something way more important to say perhaps so strangely enough I can't believe I'm talking about that band I it didn't even occur to me until this conversation that's
0: good <laughs> but, that's but good that hear. night
1: at the tree house going there to see a band called Ambugalar my guitar teacher's band they play with another band called panic and they were another kind of a thrash metal band and and the the drummer of that band worked at uh, a record store called Uncle Sam's. And which one? Uh the one that he worked at was the one in a good answer, but good question, by the way. Which one exactly?
0: There was right? Lauderhill, there was Pompano, and there was Miami. I assume Lauderhill yes, was, was three. Yeah,
1: no, he, he was the one in Lauder Hill. And that's the one I, I I would go to because my senior year I lived in Tamarack and it was much closer. So, and by then it was just like music, 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 music. So I lived at that Uncle Sam's. I hung out there and we wound up befriending the guy. And even though he was, you know, older than we were, you know, he would always just turn us on to, oh, you got to check this out, check that. So there was a lot of, um, a lot of music that came our way out, you know, uh, through him for sure. And just through hanging out there because it wasn't just him, you know, he was the metal guy. Right. But then there was the, um, the goth girl, you know, and then there was like the punk dude. Like they like, you know, every, there was it's like for every genre that was represented in the store, there was that one employee that just totally,
0: you know. <laughs> I was living like, in Tamarack at the time that I would frequent Uncle Sam's. I would ride my bike there God, at least once dude. or twice a week. And because like I had no other way of getting there. And some of the people you're describing us like it's like it was yesterday. I remember what I don't remember their names, but I remember what they looked like and you just saw the same people all the time and they were all different and if you talk to one they'd tell you something else the other one would get you just you know recommend another type of music and it was great for that that purpose
1: yeah yeah i mean i think like the the alternative record store like a real record store where you have that social element is so is so important and it was so i was so grateful to have that um and like i said like we i was friends with some some guys that had older brothers and they were friends with those guys. So we kind of would, we could kind of hang with this slightly older, older crew, um, you know, uh, you know, and just get exposed to so much more. Um, And then I think when it came down to like local bands, you know, these, these were just more of like, like really just starting to dip my toe into like, you know, going to shows and, and, and seeing other bands. But, you know, we had, um, you know, there's a local, there's a local band, <clears throat> there's a band in our, you know, and there was a bunch of kids in, in, on our high school that, you know, just were like in the bands. You know, they were just the guys in the bands and, um, my locker in the later last couple of years of high school was next to this guy named Pete Gordon and Pete, um, super cool dude, you know, but I felt like he was just like way cooler than me you know like he was just saying all this crazy stuff and he smoked weed and he'd just show up in like you know bob marley shirts and like tie-dye shirts but he'd also you know like was playing in a punk band um i don't know if it was radio baghdad at that point radio baghdad was it was a was definitely like my first one of the first punk bands like it was guys that i went to high school with that were my age or whatever that were playing in a band and I mean that for me was like, I want to do that. They're doing it. I can do that. I, I want to do that. And the drummer, this guy, um, Chris Goldbach, spike, spiky, you know, just sick drummer, you know. Um, and I, I wasn't really tight with these guys, you know, like they were <laughs> they were so much cooler than I was. I just didn't I would they was just too shy, you know. I was super, super, super shy in high school. And uh I but like I just knew like whatever they were doing, like I just really needed to be a part of it. So I picked up a guitar and that's kind of when that, when that really started happening. Um, And then, you know, fast forward high school, you know, I get out of high school and then it's just, it becomes like, oh, I just want to learn how to play guitar. I just want to start a band. So me and my, my high school friend, Craig started playing music together. Uh, I had moved out into my, my own apartment. I was going to community college at Broward community college, working at like this pizza place in, in Margate and everything was just i went
0: to bcc too there's another common common uh, common bond
1: (laughs) (laughs) dude i mean i know like there's a slight age difference here but we seriously we walked same. we've walked some
0: of the same sidewalks yes we have
1: yeah that's that's i love that and i i almost kind of feel like we're neglect you know like we're we're just we're just having this inside conversation and like you know people are gonna be like tamarack what the fuck is a tamarack (laughs) you know so um and uh, my answer to them would be like, well, you don't really want to know, but um, yeah. So, uh, you know, and, you know, playing in bands like really helped me kind of just get out of my shell and just made me feel kind of like I could contribute something, like I had value and I could be a part of something. And crazy enough, you know, the guys that I grew up with, the guy, the friends that I made very early on in high school were all on the same page. So even though we weren't the cool kids, and, you know, uh, we had each other, you know, and that was, that was, that was super helpful to me. And I'm still very close with, with a lot of those guys. Like we still, you know, my God, 40 years
0: later, 40, more than, later. more than 40 Something years. Like that, that yeah. Yeah. I don't count that. yeah don't don't yeah, even count times. don't even count <laughs> let's <laughs> call it 35 <laughs> it'll make you feel you know? bad don't count yeah i know, I know. but I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful
1: for it man I'm, I'm thankful for it and they're they're awesome dudes like they're guys that play music they do you know they're tattooers or you know they're artists they're just do amazing shit and it's just like makes me feel like okay like we were total outcasts you know and that is and that's where we were meant to be you know and uh sure. and uh it just it just made me feel like really good because i never felt like i was never good at sports the team thing you know i spent a lot of time by myself in my bedroom you know
0: was so, that uh, first uh, early band that you were kind of getting into was that oh, gus
1: gus yeah, yeah yeah so craig and i started playing in gus craig and i met craig in 10th grade and i uh you know it's funny it's like you know it was really all about cds you know, like cds were coming coming affordable and popular and it was about the sound quality so i remember trading a whole bunch of vinyl records that i had wait I think I don't know, maybe it was another guy, but I remember selling Craig a bunch of records. But we would do that. We'd buy and sell records. We, we you know, we were we were really into records. Even and um, you know, we'd go to record shows together. I funny, I was looking through my records and I still have this Black Sabbath record, the first Black Sabbath record signed by Ozzy. Not, I think, that I bought at a record show that me and Craig went to that was like in Lauder Hill or something like that. Anyway, just a lot of uh, you know, so Craig and I started playing in Gus we started, you know, this, this band, we knew we wanted to be kind of like at the time, I mean, this is now like, you know, 92, you know, it was about, you know, we wanted to be something that was kind of fast and poignant. I'm not going to say political. Cause I don't think I was so much political, but, but we wanted to, we wanted to be, I wanted to have something to say, you know, so we want, so bad religion was a huge influence at that time. And the other influence was helmet, so it was just like, dude, we need to start a band that's like bad religion meets helmet. I just remember that, that
0: sounds game. like a pretty good mix right there.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Like yeah. heavy, but also fast, you
0: know? Totally. And, where, um, where, where the name Gus? Cause that's a, it was where that name like, comes right, from.
1: It's nonsense. I honestly, we just couldn't come up with a name. And our, and our buddy Tim, who's, you know, a, a guy I, I mentioned earlier, um, was over he was playing in the band at the time called bingo mutt which was like this punk ska type yeah and my roommate at the time my roommate my very first apartment rob my dear friend robbie uh he played in the band too bingo mutt and um they you know they're punk ska type and uh i remember tim just like why don't you just like call it like somebody's name like phil or steve you know just because it's funny like you know steve like call my band steve and then i'm just like well how about gus like at least that sounds like heavy to me it sounded heavy it sounded like a like an old man you
0: know
1: just like a grumpy old man so uh i mean i
0: just the the ironic thing (laughs) is that is that there was another band in canada who had the same name i don't know which one came first but there was a gus in canada too that you later did a that you later did a split with
1: yeah yeah so so fast forward, you know, Gus started playing out, and um, you know, we started playing up in Gainesville, and that was that was really a huge turning point for me with music was discovering that town, and discovering people there, and um, and Ron, the bass player of, of Gus, he you know he had a lot of friends. He was really tight with the guys in a band, and this was another actually really influential South Florida band, Load who I'm still to this day just absolutely love. And, and one of the, when I started playing in bands, when I started becoming, you know, like a little more involved, you know, they were one of the first bands that just blew my mind. Like I just, they were so good and just had this, just fucking raucous energy. And it was, it had metal and it had Nirvana in it and it had bad brains in it. And it had, you know, Ramones in it. It just, it had it all, you know, it just, it just, and, um, uh, so we would go see Load anytime we could.
0: Where were and, you? See, what place, what venue were you seeing them play the most?
1: Uh, I mean, it those, I mean, Churchill's was mm. like, that was our CBGBs, man. You know, yeah. Churchill's is the spot. And, uh, you know, other places like the Plus Five Lounge and Davey would have shows. I feel like it was an old, like, dying rocker strip bar. But they would have a lot of good shows. I mean, and uh, we, we would play there. Uh, a lot of touring bands would play there. Um, and I saw a lot of good shows actually at the plus five, that was a great spot. And it was at a big, you know, parking lot. It was in like a plaza off of like, I'm guessing 441 or something, something like that. And, um, and, you know, so it could be a good hang. And that was part of it too. Like, I think of going to a lot of shows where we just hang out in the parking lot, you know, and, the, and it was just, that was part yeah. of it. it was like, so, so, and then sometimes you went in, sometimes you didn't, sometimes you didn't have money to get in, you know, it's just like, so that was, that was definitely kind of a part of the, the social element, but um,
0: what do you remember from the first track? But that's okay. What do you remember from the first uh, demo that Gus recorded, yeah. you know, wh- where did you record yeah. it and what do you remember from that?
1: So, so the, the demo, the first Gus demo, and that was my first time ever in a recording studio. And, and there we recorded at a, at a, at a studio that was like, I think it was in Boca or Deerfield beach somewhere in there, maybe like, yeah, Coral Springs. I don't remember, but somewhere in that, that North Broward area. And it was called live wire studios. And it was a full on like rocker metal spot. And we were, we were going to record three songs. I don't know how we wound up there. They had rehearsal spaces there too. Like where you could literally just like, you know, go in and and play on drums. And I think we did that a couple of times where they had equipment there, but then they had a full fledged, like, you know, recording studio. And, uh, you so this is interesting at the time this was very early on in the days of the band excuse me and we didn't really have a i think a permanent member so the 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 bass player of the band was our friend matt fox he was actually i guess technically you could say he was the first member of the band right matt went on to do uh like more metal hardcore bands like shy halud that was that was his thing like he that's still his thing. I believe like he's like probably the only surviving member of the band. Um, and at the time, uh, and Matt is, I mean, I'm going back, you know, 1993 here. I couldn't, I probably haven't talked to him since 1995, uh, at least not in person, but, um, he was such a talented dude. Like this guy could rip guitar. You just, just saw him. He's just like a machine and then he could play really fast uh drums he was like a sick drummer just super fast and um we hung out a lot in those days and it, it was it was great hanging out with him because um we would argue like crazy he matt was like a debater and he was someone that loved to analyze songs and um so he played on the first gust up and then um yeah. That recording experience was crazy because like, it just like never been in there before the guy recording us was just like, couldn't be bothered. You know, he just like, didn't care what we were doing. And, you know, we had like one kind of fast punk punk rock song. And then one, I really love Jesus lizard. That was a band that I really love. So I, I really love dissonant chords, you know, and, um, uh, Dwayne Dennison, you know, he was a favorite guitar player of mine. He just loved how he would just use just bend notes you know bend strings um you know out of tune with each other to create like a new chord and i just i really love doing that and, and uh try try to you know incorporate that into the music at the time and um and uh the yeah i mean i don't know it was just our first demo i mean i was excited you know like to me yeah. i <laughs> never thought i'd get that far you know it wasn't even really about uh, i want to be a rock star it was just i just want to write a song and then you write a song okay i just want to jam with like one other dude you jam with one other person and then it's like, I want to, I want to record something. I want to play out. You know, it's like you set these small little kind of milestones or goals and, uh, and, uh, you know, I never thought, you know, I would, I would get to travel. I never thought I would get to put out lots of music. I never thought anyone would care about what I have to do or say. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was, and, and to be honest, I don't care to be honest. I really don't. And I never did. And that's that's to a fault. So like, I probably should. Um, all I cared about was how much I liked something, you know? And if you didn't like it, then maybe I'll probably wind up liking it more, you know? I, I think what really set me on my path in terms of how I think looked at myself, I my got I feel like, is this therapy? Are you my therapist? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I had this- Not t- tonight. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> You're off tonight. I, I am that's right i forgot the clock. but um yeah i think you know i think you know when you kind of realize that you're sort of a you know you just don't fit in with everybody you know it's like it they're just these moments that kind of tell you and i'm not i'm not saying like oh yeah man i don't fit in i'm like you know i don't know it's not like that it's just like you know you feel like you're doing something wrong and i think a lot of people that are artists a lot of people that are musicians and specifically people that i think find counter culture experiences. You know, they just feel like they don't belong somewhere. I mean, that's, that's a cliche, you know, everybody knows that, you know, and um, I knew I just didn't belong. And, you know, (laughs) I, I'd showed up to school as my 11th uh, grade year. And I was, I was a really big fan of the, of the band Voivod. I'm still a big Voivod fan. And, um, and, and I shaved my head like the bass player. he had this really cool, he had long hair, but he had this, like half of his side was just bald. I was like, oh, that's so badass. And I I saw his video on on Headbangers Ball and I'm like, dude, I'm totally doing it. So I did it and I show up to class and I, I show up to my my history teacher's class, this guy, Mr. Carson, I'll never forget this guy. And I could go on about him, but I'll keep it simple. You know, he would just like, just constantly say about, man, you know, I fought in Vietnam. You, you kids don't know how lucky you have it. Blah blah blah. You've never been in a foxhole filled with fucking diarrhea. Have you been in a foxhole filled with diarrhea? I've been in a foxhole filled with diarrhea. Like, like he would say this to the glass.
0: He, like, he sounds like you know? Professor uh, uh, oh, Ferguson in, uh, uh, Back <laughs> <laughs> uh, in Back to School. Remember that scene? And Back to School with Sam oh, 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 Sam, Sam Kinnison. Yeah, yeah. That's, It just yeah, reminds yeah. me of that of that yeah, which he's yeah, yeah. going on and on about yeah. Vietnam and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man.
1: Like, I don't think that that scene would not fly today.
0: Uh, No, probably
1: Sam Kinison would fly today. I don't think a lot of things uh, fly today. No, but uh, but he wasn't like that. No, he was very like demeanor and very like, you know, you could, you know, you know, cross and like all his clothes, super pressed and like his hair like, you know, like totally, you know, like. But like totally shopping at like Walmart, like big butterfly collar, like even in like the late eighties, like, how's that happening? So, you know, this guy, um, you know, made me stand up in front of the class that day. And he's like, he saw me come in and he just like looked down and he just, you know, did one of these like rubbing his eyes. And I wasn't a troublemaker, you know, I was quiet as a church mouse in class. I did I didn't really pay attention. I didn't really care, you know, but, uh, I didn't make problems anyway he's just like uh he's like true before we get started I just want to I just want <laughs> to address the class something and like I say you know this is precursor uh he just complained all the time about you know kids today blah 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 blah. blah. He would just all the time just be really weird he would like if you were sleeping he would like throw a wadded up piece of paper at you and he'd be like He's like, you are so lucky that's not a hand grenade. Do you know what it's like to have a hand grenade thrown at you? Like you would talk about his <laughs> Vietnam experience. Right. He clearly had like PTSD. So, so he made me stand up in front of class and he just said, this is what's wrong with this country and this, and I fight for this. I fought for this. And he's like pointing at me and he made me stand up and, um, you know, I, 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 I tried to like shake it off and I stood on my chair and I'm just like, oh, like ah, like, you know, I just did something stupid. And I sat back down, you know, with half of my head shaved. And like all these just like, you know, just like cookie cutter people are all just like, you know. And then I was just like, you know, it was it was partially traumatizing, but I think the very next day a dude who sat in the back of the class was like, dude, you're fucking awesome, man. You know. And, he, and just, he was this guy, Dave or something like that. And he's just like, man, I love metal and I love punk rock and I love Satan. He's like, and I know you love Satan. And I'm like, uh. but I wound up being friends with this guy because he just thought like, I'm like, okay, you're not them. So whatever you are, at least we're not them. So I, that, that that you know that was my Coral Springs experience in a nutshell and uh for the most part and I, really
0: I, came full circle circles there true
1: yeah <laughs> I, I had to i had to button up mm-hmm. coral springs but when i when i started playing music mm-hmm. and hanging out in miami beach hanging out in south Florida, hanging out in miami seeing shows at like washington square was a great place um what else was down oh churchill's obviously uh club new we'd see bands play um i can't yeah. <laughs> Just like, you know, just started getting outside of Coral Springs and doing other things and playing in bands, um, you know, it, it was was huge. And, you know, seeing things in small clubs and just the, the impact that that has a, a, over you, you know, is a whole different other thing. But when I started playing music and started playing in these clubs, you know, um, there wasn't really a lot going on like we kids really had to kind of make it happen down there. And there were a few promoters that were like our age that were like have shows and make it happen. And I was never one of those people. You know, I I just didn't have that thing. I was never like I never created a zine, I, I never had a label, I never uh booked shows really, but I was always very very grateful for those that were doing it because I just didn't know how to do that sort of thing and I didn't really have the disposition for it. So Um, you know, uh, one of the really cool places that I remember that was really stand out was, um, was a a record store called far out records. So this guy, Tim and his girlfriend, I think they're still together, wife, maybe Lisa, uh, who I remember was a hairstylist. So she made like really good money, you know, and, um, they, he had opened this awesome record store, you know, and it was kind of where, uh, you know, he started doing shows. It started where I, I bought I, I remember buying some records that were really, really inspiring to me as a, as a, as a guitar player and as a, a maker of songs and such, you know, I bought those records there in the early nineties and, uh, you know, bands like Jawbreaker were really big influence bands like Jawbox, big influence, Quicksand was really huge influence on me at, at that time. And, um, and, you know, Far Out Records was a great place. You know, it was a really awesome, awesome record store. And, and Tim was a super great guy and very inclusive. You know, he liked what he liked. And maybe Gus was kind of on the fringe of that. We weren't like a punk ska band and we weren't like a straight edge hardcore band. But he started doing shows <clears throat> in um, uh, his, his store moved. It was originally up on Oakland Park Boulevard in this little plaza right before you got over the intercoastal or there, I think. And then it moved to like Dixie Highway between I think like Broward, and it was just there's another place over there at the time called the Mud House, which was like a coffee shop. And between Fire Records and the Mud House, you know, you had like a cool little hang spot. There was this little plaza. It was kind of like the the architecture was like in this. It's a really cool. I hope it's still standing because the building itself or the plaza itself, I think, architecture was really cool. It would just had this kind of old Spanish architecture vibe. uh, And it kind of overlooked onto this courtyard kind of a thing. At least that's how I remember it. And so he started putting on shows there and uh, Gus played one show there. And this is kind of like really, you know, this is really when I decided, we had not really talked about this, but really decided South Florida was not for me anymore. For a lot of reasons, like as a person, it wasn't for me. And as a, as a, Music- I hate, you know, I never really use the term musician, but as a dude in a band, it was never really, I realized it wasn't for me anymore. There was a shooting there at a show and I, I'm trying to remember the bands. I feel bad. I don't remember the bands, but it's like us. I think Bingo Mutt, I think a straight edge hardcore band called Tension might've played. And maybe a few other bands that, you know, it was, it was so eclectic because like there wasn't one scene down there but we were all kind of in that scene or you play with like some kind of like Jane's Addiction wannabe band or Red Hot Chili Peppers wannabe band or something and it was totally cool like you just played with bands you know or like some Pearl Jam wannabe band there was a, a band down there that we used to play with was kind of Pearl Jammy uh, but it was cool like you know it's just like you know what else do we have here so right before this particular show we had just played in Gainesville for the first time and that was pretty That was a real eye-opening experience for me because I'd never been to a college town. I'd never, I just never knew a place like that existed. But Gainesville at that time was just such a place of like, I mean, I guess (laughs) it's a really stupid analogy or comparison, but I guess like if you were, were a rocker and and you wanted to be the next Motley Crue. And you stepped off the bus in L.A. on a Sunset Strip in 1983 or four or five. You know, that would be the equivalent for me at that at that time. You know, showing up. You know, because no idea records was doing stuff. I was paying attention to to things that were coming out of, out of out of uh, Gainesville. Uh, so Gainesville, we played up in Gainesville. We had a just incredible time. And Gus, we played with a band. We played with Cavity, which was a Miami band. played Played with a bunch. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Where was stuff. it at?
0: What venue?
1: It was at the Hardback Cafe, which you know, arguably was like the CB the CBGBs of Gainesville. You know, you could argue, really, the CBGBs of of, of North Florida. You know, it was just a really fantastic venue with a with a very rich history uh, in music, and that was the first place I ever played up there and uh it was really great too because like uh, some of my friends in bingo mutt were playing some punk ska thing and they i think they came up to hang out i don't remember how it went but um yeah we went up there we played with cavity we played with a band from up from there called utility and uh utility i want to be coming and still i'm incredibly close friends with the guy in utility because we wound up you know playing in strike force diablo together um uh, matt Sweeting. So I met Matt through Ron and Matt was a guy that booked shows. We were actually, the show we were at, we were seeing Floor play at Churchill's and this was in December of 1993. <laughs> I don't even remember it because I recently combed through some old flyers and saw it, but Ron, Gus played that show <clears throat> at Churchill's and uh, he introduced me to Matt. He's like, oh, this is my friend, Matt. He lives in a band utility. They're up in Gainesville. They want us to come up and play. And I was like, oh, great. So the very next month, January of 94, we went up there and played and we played with Cavity, we played with Utility. Gosh, who was the other band we played with? Yeah, I think it was Gus, Cavity, Utility. Maybe that was it. We had the Hardback Cafe and we got paid a hundred bucks and we each got like a quart of Mickey's Ice. And that was that was like a popular beer at the time, Mickey's. Like it's not even around anymore, I don't think, but it was a quart, you know, there were, we didn't have 40s in Florida, we had quarts. So, and I didn't even drink at the time at all. So I just gave mine away. Um, but, uh, it was awesome. Like kids cared. Everybody's like wearing like cool t-shirts. Like, oh man, like, I don't know. Just, it was a, it was, it was our tribe. It was like our scene, South Florida. We just never felt like we fit. I didn't, um, not with, you know, what was happening there. This was like way, in my opinion, like advanced, like, you know, it was for a lot of like like thinkers, I mean, to go on and on about my experience in Gainesville is obviously a, another five hour conversation. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but it but was, it was,
0: it was important was, though, a very important was, part of your life. Important. It helped to shape who you are in probably more ways than one. And the time that you were playing up in Gainesville, you mentioned how it was more your tribe, the audience, the kids that were coming out to see you play. Talk about the difference between that and maybe some of the gigs you had in South Florida.
1: I mean, there's was just no violence. I mean, that was, the, that was the first thing. I was like, dude, like everybody's just like having a good time. And I think there was a, a lot more of a feminine energy there. You know, I mean, girls were, girls were in the front watching the bands and, uh, I really like that. Like everyone was involved. It felt communal. You know, uh, South Florida just felt like, you know, kind of I feel like how a lot of people view Florida was just like this every man for himself gladiator pit, you know. And that's what the music was like in South Florida for me. Like, but in Gainesville, everyone was there. It's like, are you guys like all best friends? Like, what's going on right now? Like, this is crazy. So the lack of violence. The tremendous generosity, you know, feeding the bands, being stoked to brought bands there, paying the bands well, you know, for, you know, a hundred bucks then was just, that was insane. Like, you know, and everybody's just digging the music and you weren't st- playing at like the rock solid or the plus five lounge, some like dilapidated old strip club. And that's really what it was. A lot of the venues we played back then were just old strip clubs, you know, like, or old, like, rocker metal bars that just, like, you know, needed to pay the rent. So they let yeah. these knuckleheads in there, you know. Um, when Gus, as a band, decided to pack up and leave Fort Lauderdale, you know, it, it, we had gone, we'd already gone on, like, our, a couple of tours. We had done a two-month tour with... um uh, matt who wound up playing with it was in strike force who's in strike force um and is a very very dear friend of mine um you know we went on uh, did a two-month tour with his band tired from now on that summer of 1995 and then gus did another kind of east coast thing and we came back and we're just like man let's just get out of get out of here we're coming to gain so like this is where we belong and um you know we can we can tour we can put out records no idea records is here like come on. It was crazy. Like all our friends are here. My girlfriend at the time was going to college. She was going to UF. We were dating when she was still in high school. So Gainesville just became this incredible place. I spent so much time up there visiting to play and visiting to see my girlfriend at the time, Kim. And it's just where we wanted to be. So we got up there. And the very soon after we got there, two things happened. So Sam quit the band, our our drummer at the time, Sam um, quit and uh, it was kind of heartbreaking. And I could talk a lot about that because Sam was a, and, and is a still a very close friend, but he was a huge, he, he was like the first really amazing musician I'd ever played with. You know, he was like a real drummer. Like this guy's seasoned. He's, he's older. He's played with so many other bands like this guy. He was, oh, he used to play in a really great band called the Holy Terrors. And, um, who uh well you did rob you spoke with rob elba right
0: yeah, absolutely
1: yeah dude the guy i have super tons of respect for that man like really influential band and uh when i heard that you know sam from holy terrors want to play with me and ron like that was like because we would kind of juggle drummers for a while my old friend craig moved to san francisco and um and uh that was really exciting like you know because he could just he was a he, he's a sick drummer. He's still a sick drummer. He plays in Interpol and they kill it. Phenomenal band. And he's obviously been doing that band now for 20 years. And uh, he just elevated the music. I felt like, okay, you know, this can't be just like some like helmet beats meets bad religion shit anymore. Like we really need to start, you know, I want to become a great band. And I started writing a lot. I started reading a lot, you know, and uh, I started really working on lyrics, you know, that became very important to me. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just saying things. I didn't care if I said important things. It was just more about you know what was coming out and the the use of the English language was something creative on top of the music. So and and Sam brought a lot of that out in me because he was just more mature. You know, he I was super shy. I had you know hadn't really been with too many ladies, and this guy. <laughs> you know, it's just very, uh, it was just very mature, very worldly to me. And he introduced me to, to my first cappuccino, you know, and he would tour, like, you know, he would come on the road with an espresso maker and like a paper bag, you know, that was like a thing he would do. And I just thought that was very adult.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: I, I, you know, you know, I'd be happy with like Dunkin' Donuts with like, you know, half milk and like 10 sugars, you know? So, um, he and coffee and just like good food and a lot of great music too, you know, Sam, uh, is a an absolute uh, Encyclopedia Britannica of of music and culture. So he's he was just really influential, and we would just you know sit and listen to music. So we packed it up. We came to Gainesville, but soon after, um, see, I get I get sidetracked really easy, Jeff. I'm sorry, man. I see now. I see why these things get to be three hours.
0: <laughs> but, but you know, the, but there are so many people who have been there on this journey that you have connected with or in influential to you or whatever it may have been so it's great to be able to hear some of those stories and some of those connections and sam has been brought up on the podcast many times especially when rob was on of course because we talked yeah. a lot about the holy terrors uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah
1: that makes yeah of course of course yeah and um I mean, I guess maybe, you know, intentionally you bring up some, some characters that were just, you know, came along that really helped to steer the boat, you know, and it's sometimes you don't, you know, you don't, you don't think about until you start rambling (laughs) and then they, then they just, uh, they show up in, in your consciousness and, and you're like, oh man, I I have to, I have to mention this person, but, but yeah, Sam quit. He went, he moved to Chicago and then went on to New York and and Gus recorded some extra stuff with him that, um really never saw the light of day uh and then and then uh yeah he landed in new york in the late 90s at that point i'm you know i'm dug in and, and in so big time and uh so strike force kind of came out of sort of a, there was almost like a, an in between so gus had had a tour booked with hot water music the summer of 1996 we were like i felt like on fire like we just really wanted to create 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 you know we had no idea behind us hot water was really starting to gain some attention. I had seen them for the first time play the summer before at a festival in, in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, that, that we were playing Gus was playing, I think, or maybe we just went to, um, I don't remember, but, um, and they just blew my mind. You know, how water music, just so much energy and just like, just raw and just, just so ferocious and so engaging with the crowd and great songs. I mean, the songs were great. You know, if you strip back, and they played absolutely terrible equipment at that time. You know, they toured in this tiny little minivan. I played like crate amps, like the worst sounding amps like ever. But um uh, but they were just such a phenomenal band. So I was very excited. We became friends with them and played up with them a few times, I think, you know, between that, that summer and the next summer. So I was really excited to go on tour with them. Sam left, and then Ron just just like, dude, I'm out, I'm going back to Miami. He's uh he's just like a, a diehard South Floridian. And he never felt, I think, comfortable in Gainesville. And uh and he went back home. And then at that point, I was kind of bandless. But there was like this space on the tour. So so before Ron left, and this kind of melts into strike force. Um, Chuck Reagan said, Look, I got this friend down in Sarasota. His name's Kevin Scott. He plays drums, he's an awesome dude. You should have him come in and try out for Gus. So he came up, you know. Uh we jammed a bunch a couple times. And then Ron just wasn't feeling it. I don't even think it was, it was Kevin or not Kevin. I just think he was done happy to be there. He just wanted to go home. And, uh, essentially he left and now I have Kevin. And then I was living with, uh, sharing a bedroom with, um, a, a guy named Will Good, who, uh, um, actually really good musician. I don't know what he's up to these days, but, um, cool kid, really cool kid. And, um, so now I have Kevin I have Will and we start this and I said, guys, look, if we just start a band and write like six songs, we can go on tour with hot water music. So that, that summer, that's what we did. We wrote six songs. We called the band the union of June because that's when we had gotten together the union of June, we had six songs. And then we, we, we did this like month tour with hot water music and um, Steve heritage. I'll never forget this. Steve heritage from Ask, Suck, uh, and who had recorded you know, a lot of bands and, and, you know, he worked at Morris sound, which was like the heavy metal recording studio down there. And he's, he he drove, he was a huge, you know, hot water music fan and proponent. And I think he recorded their stuff. So he drove the van and we just went on this crazy, like hellish tour, um, you know, out West. And uh, it, it was awesome. I mean, it was great. You know, it was just awesome dudes. I became, you know, enamored with the band, I just fell in love with them as people. And uh, George, when I went on to become roommates, a drummer. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just texted with him the other day. And um, it, it was great. But when we got back, um, you know, it was just sort of like, uh, I think Will left, he moved to San Francisco or Baltimore. And I and, and mean, Kevin became very close. You know, uh, Kevin and I had uh, just some similar, I think, childhood trauma that we connected over. And I just fell in love with him. You know, he's so funny and so smart. He is so funny and so smart. And um, there was just like, you know, constant like banter, you know, just, and I just always loved him. I was like, dude, you know, we were totally starting, a, you know, another band we get back. And then, you know, Matt was my roommate at the time and Matt and I become friends and he's just kicking around. And I think tired from now on kind of went separate ways. People moved away. And we literally shared a house and all of our equipment was set up in the living room. So it's like, dude, go grab a bass. Let's go. So that's kind of how that started. And we had uh, another roommate Jose on second guitar at first, this is even before it's called Strike Force Diablo. And uh, we, you know, we just play around town. I think we had various names over the course of maybe six months. And then we finally kind of, kind of chunked out some songs that we felt were great. And uh, Steve Heritage wound up recording at morris sound the first strike force uh ep so we did that down there which is kind of crazy because that place is like legendary black metal studio you know if you're like tampa i don't know if it still has its reputation but like you know it was always like the you know we i talk about you know the la strip in the 80s you know if you're a (laughs) glam rocker but that was what that's where you went if you were into like black metal or thrash metal or you know, death metal. Death metal's what is we
0: sure. So, you know, Were you into a lot of that band? stuff that was going on in the Tampa area? Maybe, even later in years. Did you ever get into some of those those bands?
1: Not, not particularly. Mm-hmm. No, nah. it was a little, a little too buzz saw for me. A little too growly. I think I just, I love, I just always fell in love with melody. I, I, need some essence of melody. It can be done in like a gruff voice, but just give me, give me some notes. I need some notes. I, I came to appreciate it a lot more later on. But particularly I I didn't come from the scene of like death and cynic and obituary and like a lot of the bands. Oh, and uh Deicide, And then that a lot of that kind of centered around Florida. That wasn't my vibe, but I I love that it. it was happening. So we when we recorded, I think uh, one of the guys from Deicide walked in and he's like driving, you know, this this black uh you know, 68 Camaro or something, all black tinted windows. And if I remember correctly, you know, he had like an upside-down cross burning his into his head and i was like damn this shit's real down here man so (laughs) that was kind of intimidating (laughs) and then the band that was recording in the studio next to us was a band called jag panzer who i'd never heard of but if you look them up they're just like a legit old school metal band anyway so that was this first strike force cd and 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 we let kind of steve do what he wanted with it like we recorded on his amps I didn't know the first thing about sounding good or recording or anything. So Steve kind of gave it, I think, kind of a metal kind of vibe because that's his world, right? So, you know, I think when we first mixed it, I'm like, yeah, I want I want the guitars all the way to the right and the bass all the way to the left. And he's just like, no, you don't. I'm like, yeah, it's gonna be awesome. And he sent, he's like, all right. He sent us a, a mix or something, or, you know, we left with like a mixed tape, you know, because it's not like he's, he's emailing us mix in those days so like we left with the tape and we at home listening to it and i'm like oh yeah that does sound terrible <laughs> you know i just thought it'd be so cool because you know matt's over here doing his thing and i'm over here doing my thing but no concept of like you know how any of that really works um, and i wanted it to sound raw we were a raw band that's how was saying. so he made a sound definitely a lot heavier and a lot more oh like you know than we were but i was grateful for it like i was very you know still to this day i think it's, it's the best stuff strike force ever did when we play any of those songs off that first ep i mean that's just like it's kind of like the hits we enjoy playing and i think it's the stuff that anyone who is a fan of the band all like 12 of you out there I mean, that's typically what they want to hear so <laughs> um i i sense so um but it was great i mean matt Sweeting has been a um in fact you know i should say this right now you you want to get someone on, on your show you, you should talk to matt um he's one of those guys that in a way flies under the radar because he's he's such a builder and a creator of moment but you know uh, oftentimes he then walks out of the moment to let other people have that moment and he finds a tremendous amount of joy in that and i and i and i really figured that because I mean, he's always booking bands doing shows a lot a lot of really great stuff happened at his house you know dubbed the utility house in the, in the late 90s and um um and has done so much and so much for other people and so much for me it's been a tremendous friend to me um and you know you know as someone that suffers with like depression and anxiety and ADD and dyslexia i mean you know he has just he's helped me out. He's helped my family out. Like he's just really been a rock in that way. I get emotional just talking about the dudes. But that's the that's what we have, you know. That's right. the we have. And uh that's you know, I mean, overarching, you know, that's 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 what I found playing music. I found people like him, you know, I found I found, you know, people that that believed in what I was doing, saw some value in me that I never saw. I still struggle to see. And uh and I, you know, and, and made lifelong friends, family. And um that that has been the best part of it all, you know, and and um it's still why I play really it's just to be part of that family, you know. And
0: um there and- was a comment on the post that I made that you were gonna be the next guest on the podcast, and uh I think Alex uh thinks his name um A-E- uh A-E-F. Uh, 1978. That's his uh, handle on Instagram. But he left a comment to for you to share some stories about the utility house because apparently, uh, he'd gone seen, I guess, what I, I never had been. So I guess there was, uh, there were, there were shows there. Like, what, what are your yeah, memories so, of that? So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was, you know, it, it was very common, you know, in, in that world to have shows in a house, you know, to have shows in a basement, to have shows at a, you know, a, uh, um, a union hall, you know, wherever you could make something happen, you know, wherever you could gather people and it be okay that it's loud, you know, it would would happen that way. And I think that's really, you know, coming out of Fort Lauderdale, South Florida, Miami, where you didn't have that, you know, you just had to kind of work with like the, uh, the, the geography and the terrain there, you know, in Gainesville, it's like, it wasn't reactionary, you know, it was creative. It's like, it was, it wasn't reacting to a situation you were in. It was just it was just bypassing it all together and creating a new one. And I think that's a better one, you know? And I and I think that's uh, that's what would happen to you, a lot at the utility house. So it was just a house. Four guys lived there. Just so happens, <laughs> one of the guys that lived there, one was Matt Sweeting. And Matt was just a, and I don't know really where he got started doing this. Like, I don't, I never really asked him, like, you know, what, you know, what was your incentive, you know? But he just started having bands play in his living room. And that's how I remember it. I don't really know beyond that, which is kind of weird that I did. This room was massive. It had to have
0: been if you are having shows. Yeah, it was really
1: big, like, (laughs) comparatively. I mean, I live in a New York apartment, so everything's massive for me. But but it was just a really big, open living room. And and it had this little cove. You know, it's like an old Florida-style cracker house, you know? So, you know, it just had that kind of, like, I don't know, like, I don't know. Northern colonial kind of look to it, I guess. But, um, but yeah, all wood floors and a huge front porch. So really great for like the party hang, you know, keg is out there. Bands are inside you know and it had just this huge like oak door I mean the the doorway was just massive so it was very easy to get lots of people in and out at the same time that's how I remember it anyway heard how was
0: here too <laughs> yeah 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 totally and as soon
1: as you walked in boom like there was a thing and then and then there was a dining room that connected that and, and drums and 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 amps could kind of sit over there while one band was playing and then you know it would just get packed and hot and crazy And yeah, it'd be a lot of Gainesville bands, but there'd be some touring bands coming through playing there, you know, and, uh, probably don't, I don't have the best memory for that stuff. Like Matt would remember every single band that's played the living room. I think, I think I just, I just have a, you know, a few instances, but, uh, of just really good times. I think we had, you know, we had like party helicopters play, I think mineral played there once. Who, else? um, I, I'm not doing it justice. Like some really, carp, I think played the living room once at the utility house. Um, damn, so bad with that stuff, but, um, but there's just, 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 a great venue and it was a good time and it's a college town. So it's like, right. everyone is just ready to fucking party and have a good time. This no, there's no fights. There's no weapons. It's just, you know, um, and it's very equal. Like, you know, it just felt highly collective, you know, it, you know, it's not just a bunch of like, you know. Like uh, jocks beating each other up in front of the stage, you know. It's like everybody's in front of stage, you know, guys, girls, everybody was creating, you know. And uh, so, first time I ever started playing in a band with, with, um, with, uh, with a, a female. Essentially, I started playing with this band, Van Bilderas who had a house down the street. I became friendly with the drummer, this guy John Weisberg, who also plays an asshole. Parade. We, we, we both spent time in Yankees living in yonkers as kids so we would talk about you know but uh, going to uh movies at movie land and going to dragon's den for comics and stealing iron maiden tapes some crazy eddies and just uh, weird shit like that so we really connected we both love thrash metal 80s thrash metal so we really connected on that but we both you know he played in this like super punk band van builder and he 80 another guitar player so i started playing with them and jesse van builder was just a super cool chick man i just thought she was just a rock star you know, and her and the other guitar player Amanda, which she Jesse played bass and sang, and then there was Amanda played guitar. And he's just so cool. You know, I just like never, I didn't have a lot of interaction, you know, on that level, you know, before. So that was really eye opening. And again, you know, shy kid, not really having a lot of female experiences in my life, you know, just let alone creating and seeing everything that was happening. So it really gave me this whole perspective you know, and, uh, that I didn't really have before that. I think if I gotten stuck in South Florida, might've really, you know, it might've, sh- you know, it, it shaped my, my worldview for the better, you know, and that's what I want to do when I got up there. So you joked about playing in lots of different bands. Like that became something I wanted to do. Like, I like these guys. I like this band. How can I get in it? You know, <laughs> that sort of just became kind of a thing. And, um, you know, Van Bilderas only did a few shows with them. And then Jesse moved to San Francisco and that, that disbanded. And then John's like, oh, dude, you should play for my thrash band, Asshole Parade. So I started playing with Asshole Parade and that was awesome. Uh, that was that was a blast. I have so many good memories of playing with those guys and playing that just like oh, ferocious music. And it was really great because the other guitar player in the band, this guy, Brian Johnson, I went to high school with. And I never knew him in high school, but he, you know, he went to Taravella High. But he and I he would always wear the same seven seconds t-shirt. I always tell him this story when I see him. I don't, I don't know why, but we talked about this for years in Assel Parade. I was like, dude, I always want to come up to you because I thought you were so cool because you were into seven seconds. And I I just didn't feel cool enough to be into that band. I, I'm a huge fan and I became a huge fan, but at that time I just was intimidated by him. So fast forward, I don't know, five, six, seven years I'm playing you know in a in a thrash band with him and Gainesville, we did a bunch of touring and that was pretty awesome played Gilman Street this uh a uh, big you know sort of thrash noise festival out there and then Matt went on to replace me in that band
0: um was that the uh, first time that you were in a band that actually traveled that far
1: No no Gus had done that Gus okay. had, had done like a 2 month tour you know a few years prior with Matt that's when me and Matt became friends um so no we we kind of just you know we drop our dishwashing jobs leave for two weeks go play a string of shows that we booked you know on payphones using with dialers you know that was the thing back then you'd, you'd have a dialer so it would mimic a a, a coin drop
0: right a phone
1: and that's how you book shows and there would just be lists i remember once um this guy gave me uh, this guy clay who was played in some great bands highway 66 and some other bands uh, uh, back in those days had like a list, you know, you had a list, somebody had a list of like kids in other states and cities that book shows. And it was like, you'd show up and then, you know, like be like, okay, so, you know, meet my guy over, you know, my friend in the corner. And then, you know, he's going to be on a bike, but just follow the bike, you know, and, then, and it'd be some house or some basement. And that's just how we toured, you know, and then, and that was just awesome. That was just so a lot, you know, just so uh, connective you know, just, you really, I just loved it. It just, it was just so different. And I felt like I was part of something that was so special, you know? And uh, I think everybody feels that way when they be, when they're doing their music and at a young age and, and everything is an adventure, but um, yeah. So, but um, you know,
0: well, What Murders were the, what were the crowds like at an asshole parade show? Uh,
1: well, yeah, pretty crazy. It was probably, it was kind of the first time people started like going bananas to like a band that I was in. Now I, I had no problem like going bananas to other bands, jumping off the stage, doing stupid shit. But, um, you know, this was the first time I'm there and I'm playing and the music just, I mean, you, you know, you just got going and it was just like, you know, it was just like a blender. It was just like, and the music sounded like a blender. It was like a blender going on, going on. And everybody was in the blender and, uh, it was just great. And it was challenging too. The music wasn't particularly technical, but it was fast. And that was, that was the thing. it would be like, Drew, you know, don't do any of your, they would joke at me. Cause they would, they would tease me because I would, I would try and throw in these like little, you know, melodic things. And, and they'd call them neener, neeners, like no neener, neeners stop with the neener, neeners, just power chords, stay on the dots, <laughs> but play fast. And, um and uh, that was always the thing. And uh, yeah, it was great. And then um Gainesville, my, my time there was, was, was amazing. And, 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 you know, I, there was a time where kind of the music died off. I wasn't really playing and Gainesville started becoming very, uh, kind of, uh, claustrophobic for me, you know, like, um, you know, it's a small town, you know, and I was at the time I was bartending at like, you know, the, the, the cool bar, it's still like the cool bar in town, which was a lot of fun and a great place to work. What was that Uh, called? Oh, the top, the top restaurant. And I loved working there. It was awesome. And, um, I lo- the owners were great and just did awesome and, I, and made good friends there and uh and I lived two blocks away and I lived with my girlfriend at the time and but I wasn't really playing music anymore that kind of fell up, fell to the wayside and I just said uh, what am I doing I mean that's when I just pick up and leave but um
0: before yeah, you I, left though yeah, before you left yeah. I we uh one of my favorite bands from the Gainesville area that Frank Force Diablo did a split with was I hate myself okay. so what was your uh, memory of that split with with them, and any memories of seeing them play?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Marberger brothers were um, also another talented bunch. In fact, I just saw Jim was up here not long ago, and we went to a <laughs> we went to like a, a, a guitar effect pedal synth pedal convention. He was up here for work. He's a brilliant mind, and his brother, you know, Jim, absolute talent a uh, songwriter. Yeah. I loved, I hate myself. Um, I love, I hate myself. I mean, they, they were a band that I think, and I, you know, I'm sure people have said this, but in their genre, you know, if you want to use the term screamo, you know, or whatever, I don't know what they would call it, but they were pretty pioneering. Like they, you know, could have been like a, you know, a, a cat in jazz or something like that. They could, have. they, they were, I mean, to people that love the band, uh, you know, they refer to them, oh, I hate myself and and I and you felt it. like there was a time where they were writing incredible music, and um people were really digging them, and you just kind of felt this palpable, you know, uh, sort of vibration like th- these guys could could really do a lot. And you know, I know, you know they just weren't really that that band. you know, they just they just really wanted to kind of keep it theirs and do it the way they wanted to do it. And they they just didn't really have, I think, the uh, the drive to do more than that. But yeah, putting out a split with I Hate Myself, I mean, they were contemporaries, right? These these were the bands we were playing with and our friends. And, um, you know, that was a, that was a no brainer, you know, to do something like that. And uh, another band of that time very close with was a 12 Hour Turn. And these were a Jacksonville band and right. Argentina went actually went to and did a tour with them, uh, on out, out West, which was awesome and a lot of fun. And, um, you know, that was the one big tour Argentina ever did. It was with the 12 hour turn guys and day and, you know, the bass player, Dave, you know, we still play music now. Like we, I met him 25 odd years ago, lo- longer than that, really. And, uh, you know, he happened to be up here in New York he moved up about six months before I did. And then, you know, he lived in kind of a different area. So we'd hang out here and there, but, uh, you know, he would then moved to my neighborhood and was like, dude, let's start a band. And I hadn't picked and you know, picked up a guitar, uh, probably 10 years, you know, just like working and living and, you know, New York's tough, you know, it's, it doesn't lend itself, you know, to doing extracurricular things. If you're just grinding it out to survive, which is really what my first years were here were like. And, uh, yeah, so Dave and I play in Lepesh. That's the, the musical project that I do now and have been doing, I guess, 7 or so years. Um and yeah, I'm grateful for it. I mean, I, we we <laughs> we reminisce a lot about those days, you know, it's uh, it's always a conversation like, oh, remember that time or that person or oh my god, that was awesome. And you know, they were 12 Hour Turn was definitely another one of those bands and Dave would be another great guy to get on the on the call too or um um a rich you know rich dm you know he he runs this label bakery outlet um, right still plays in a lot of great florida bands incredible human being um you know great dad teacher just just love the dm brothers you know but um uh i think you know it's like anything else the, the cool thing about a split a split seven inch and gus had done a split seven inch with the gus from canada you know part of the, the the whole thing about doing something like that is really you get them you get a chance to kind of like this is how I kind of saw it anyway. It's like, you know, a band that you like or friends with gets to be in your band for a minute and you get to be in their band for a minute because now you're collaborating on something together. And really you're just collaborating mostly on the, um, the artistic element, you know, right. The layout or like, Oh, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Or, you know, maybe the, whoever's actually putting it out, you know, if there's a label involved, you know, uh, comes up with something. One of the songs that, uh, that we put on the 12 hour turn split, Triforce Diablo, you know, uh, we wrote it you know and 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 i i uh for the record and i and i was just like i really want to put i really want to put their their band name in here and um so god jesus christ if i remember correctly oh my god i hope i'm not gonna like uh not remember this correctly but uh on the 12 hour turn split there is a uh, one of our songs uh does mention 12 hour turn in the song um and referred to you know uh another 12 hour turn. And the, 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 the title, the, the name of the band was in reference to the guys that worked in the coal mines. If I remember correctly, like they would do what was called a 12 hour shift, their 12 hour turn. So they'd work at, uh, you know, so I think it was, uh, and I, and I, and I at the time that this particular song was written, I was just like, I think working like two or three jobs, just grinding it out constantly. And, um, it's like, Oh man, another double or something like that. So that's where it, it kind of just fell into it. But it was, it was funny to be able to, uh, to, to throw that in there as like a little like easter egg for them to discover you know like oh shit those, those motherfuckers put our put our band name in one of their songs was that, was
0: that their reaction when they finally heard it or yeah, yeah they
1: loved it i mean yeah it was great i mean we were just, just such big fans of each other as human beings and that was another thing too is that you know <clears throat> i really admired what those guys were doing in jacksonville because there really wasn't a really, you know, God, you want to talk about, you know, a cultural wasteland being South Florida. I mean, Jacksonville is just like a whole other thing, you know? It's, uh, so they, they, those guys brought, brought the DIY in a major way to Jacksonville and they were highly inclusive, you know? So like you go to shows at their house, they called it the Magnifico house. It was just this, this big house that all of them lived in and uh bands would play in the living room. And then they, you know, they'd feed the bands. You could sleep there. It was awesome you know it was just like they they kind of uh they really held it down for jacksonville in a, in a huge way um and uh it was it was great you know just just uh and i'm still still close with all those guys man you know uh i think i sent you a picture of this but uh matt oliver the drummer of 12 hour turn and i played in a in a black sabbath tribute band for years together yeah. where we we would dress up like that like, so we would do it on like halloween or around halloween or i think we did it for the fest once maybe once or twice we played like one of the early fests
0: the volume was, four right
1: the volume four yeah, yeah. that was the, uh, you know and uh that was awesome man that was just such a blast uh playing with him because he's he's one of my favorite drummers you know just i love that kid man and i and he rips so hard i just and i'm a huge fan of drummers too like you know it's like you know, I love drums and I love drummers, and uh, he's he's one of my favorites. And um,
0: what's one of your favorite Black Sabbath songs to play as a cover?
1: Um, a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it was uh, "Changes." You know, said one of their ballads. I'm going through changes. You know, and uh, it's such a beautiful song. You know, and we learned it for I think one of the last shows. We only did it I think once live, and God bless him. Um, our the guitar player Brian, who's an, another dear old friend, uh he was he was like road manager against me, really brilliant photographer, sort of all around you know, intellectual uh, uh you know, tornado guys just awesome, super smart, and um just uh, just love him to death. He he played guitar. And what's crazy about the Black Sabbath thing, it's funny we're talking about this, but it was just, you know, we lived across the street at the time. And, uh, you know, he was playing guitar. I remember he was playing me like a Bad Brains song. I'm like, oh, dude, that's awesome. I fucking love Dr. No. I love Bad Brains. And I think we were talking about that. And then just somehow came into, hey, Halloween's coming up. We should do a cover band. Because I love the idea of dressing up. I love the idea of, I always loved Halloween. It was always my favorite holiday. And I, I always get wild on Halloween. It's like, let's do a cover band. What should we do? And so like, oh, let's do Misfits. And I'm like, everybody does Misfits or something stupid. It's like, well, we got to do metal. We got to do I'm like, yeah, but we're not good enough to play metal, metal. I'm like, like, what about Black Sabbath? And we argue about this. He says Black Sabbath, his idea, I'm pretty sure it was my idea. But um, the guy went and he learned all these Black Sabbath songs. It actually helped him become a great guitar player. He didn't really play much guitar prior to that. He knew a couple of riffs, a couple of bad breeds riffs. But then he's uh, all of a sudden like shredding, like kind of ripping these solos i'm like okay we're doing it i guess i'm gonna be Aussie because i had you know had yeah. you know, some some element of pipes i guess and um i'm a pasty brit you know um my mother you know i feel like i could fill out the Aussie role pretty well um so what you um, want to give
0: us an example right now of your Aussie impression
1: <laughs> oof
0: I'm kidding. No,
1: I <laughs> but I would go. No, listen. You know, I, I would go into like full Aussie mode, man. Like I would I would get the accent and everything, man. Between the songs. But when I was singing it, you know, I you know, Ozzy's That's voice, good. Thanks, man. That's pretty Ozzy's, good. <laughs> Ozzy's voice is it's so unique. You know, yeah. Like, His timbre, like, what sounds like fucking Ozzy? Like, you know, and... um, Ozzy. Ozzy, that's it. And, uh, yeah, I'm a huge Black Sabbath fan. And we were getting into a lot of stoner shit back then, like Sleep was, you know, a huge, like, uh, late 90s thing for me. And, uh, you know, just that, that, that was, like, where my mind was at that time. And admittedly, smoking probably way too
0: much So uh, What was the reaction like when the, the volume four played... A a gig, well, like a gig like the fest, because clearly that's not what you would expect when you go to something like the fest. So what was the reaction like when you guys played?
1: It was amazing. It was awesome. It was great because everybody was in on it. You know, everybody knew that this was going to be a theatrical kind of presentation and it was going to be ridiculous and I was going to come out either really drunk or tripping you know or just like uh really insane and it was they got i mean i know this could sound ridiculous because we we really did it all as a joke but we took it seriously like the costumes kicked ass like like we really went out of our way to find uh, like stuff that looked real and we really wanted to put on a show and uh we you know that was one of the things that you didn't get in the punk rock world you know or the diy music scene it's like it was about like you know simplicity and and we're you know in, inclusivity and we're all part of it and it, it's 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 amazing and it's beautiful but this is not what we wanted we wanted to just like really blow minds and like put on a show and just get weird so we, you know we'd get lights and i think we actually got a friend of ours to like actually have some mild pyrotechnics one year i would have like costume changes i would come out with bags of fake cocaine that was like powdered sugar and man people just got nuts it was fun i mean i I, bet it was blast and you know i think um i think you know and it it just showed me like uh like you know the power of, of theatrical entertainment you know even if it's kind of ridiculous so when i look back at bands like you know iron maiden who I absolutely love. We didn't even talk about my my love for Iron Maiden, but, you know, or the old metal bands or, you know, the big rock show, you know, like, because in Gainesville, you didn't have that. To get it, you had to go to Orlando to see an arena show, but like, who cared? Like, I was so not interested in that at that point anyway, um, that, uh, you know, to bring something like that to, you know, whatever, the 200 of our drunk-ass friends that are going to come out and just fucking fist-bang, you know, and, and just... So that was right. It was a real release to this day is probably the most fun I ever had on stage. It was like not nervous, wearing a stupid wig and like bell bottoms and tassels. And it's like the only time I'm not nervous on stage. Like, what is that? So I think, um, you know, having that was was great and
0: yeah. yeah that may have played a big part of it though and why you may not have felt that way is because you were kind of in character and sometimes when we're in character we don't feel some of the same anxiety or fears that we would feel when we're just being ourselves oh
1: yeah that's that's absolutely 100 percent true and i think i think if you talk to a lot of really successful and talented actors they'd probably tell you the same thing like you know you know like you know it, it, it get you know it's like you you think i'm up there acting a fool or or You know just completely transform my personality but no no i'm i get to hide in here you know i get to just i that guy goes away like so i i you know i get to be this guy you know and that uh you know you know dude so the Black Sabbath tribute band was fun but i only you know i only brought that up because that was something me and matt connected on and that's that's just been the cool thing is like you know you just all throughout my journey playing music you know it's always just been like i love what you're doing let's do it together um and uh, you know uh, that's that's kind of how I started playing with with Floor. You know, it was another another band that I just absolutely loved. And we had not really even touched on my time with them, but yeah,
0: I mean, I was let's let's playing. talk about that because that's another one of my personal favorite bands uh, from Florida is is oh, Floor. Me too. Yeah,
1: me too. I mean, like, I mean, I'd probably say Floor, Load. Well, floor load a really great band called cell 63 that i really loved Rock, oh yeah yeah the enablers he's another one man like kind of a an early hero of mine like he's a teacher so like i just think about these florida bands that like weren't just my contemporaries my friends but ones that i really looked up to and i really loved the floor was definitely one of them and we shared you know their first seven inch and the first Gus seven inch came out on the, on, on the same label it's our friend jason uh, uh jason page and um who's still a dear friend and still does stuff, you know, he did the layout for the Strike Force Diablo record, which, cause, you know, we bother him to do shit, <laughs> but um, he's done a lot for the, the Florida music scene in my, in my experience. So, um, but uh, floor was, I saw them play at Churchill's for the first time, maybe in mid 93. And I was just blown away. I was like, dude, this is the heaviest band I've ever heard in my life. And it's not even a bass player. And it was just like tickling all of those like Melvin's, Melvinsey funny bones. And um, I, I when first time I heard Floor, I remember thinking this like on the, there's a hidden track on the uh, Nevermind album on the on the CD called Endless Nameless, and it's um you know just like just you know Kurt Cobain just make you know just a bunch of a noise you know it's like song like the song they wouldn't let them put on you know the record label probably wouldn't let them put on the record because it was just so bombastic and noise but at the end of the song we just tunes down the guitar and then the last notes he's hitting are just this like lubbed out distorted low e string and it's like i my first thinking when i saw floor was like okay this band heard that song and then maybe a couple melvin songs and just said let's do a band that's just completely uh, surrounded by bat but um there was more to it than that. You know, it was, um, it was like ethereal, it was ambient. Um, there was, there was melody in the vocals. And then when Steve would get gnarly and gruff, it was like the most burly thing you could, you could do. So, you know, you'd hear, so the range, it was so heavy and sonic, you know, knowing more about guitar playing and sound and recording that I know now, it's like, Man, you you know you take the guitar, you turn it down, tune it really low, but then you you take two or three more strings and you tune them all really low to the same exact note. You're gonna get just this like this chorus, you know, this uh, wall of sound. It's really, and then you have two guitar players doing that same exact thing, not deviating, no harmonies. Not you do this, I do this. We just doing the same thing. It is so powerful, and 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 it, it really bowled me over. So anyway, um,
0: how did how did you get connected to to play with them?
1: I well Henry, the, so so you know they had they had had a Betty was their first drummer, and then they had this guy Jeff, and Jeff was amazing. He was a total just stoner ripper. A lot of like the real my really favorite floor stuff was Jeff on drums. Um originally. And then, uh, I met this dude, uh, Henry Wilson. He played in a band called Syrup. And I actually met him, I think in a basement in Washington, DC, his band was playing and I believe probably Gus was playing. That's what it had to be. I think we we're on tour with, uh, an, a, another great Florida band, Claire Mel, um, super awesome dudes. Um, so, uh, we met, Henry and I met, um, you know, at, at a show and then, uh, we became, you know, just band friends, I guess. And then he, he wound up playing in Floor. Floor had kind of disbanded. I think Steve moved to Atlanta. They just weren't really doing anything. And then uh Henry started doing this band Dove. Super heavy, kind of crazy spastic, heavy shit. Like never the same riff twice, you know, but super heavy. Awesome stuff. And he's just a ripping guitar player, man. It's just like, I love Henry's guitar play. He's one of my favorite fucking guitar players in ever came out of Florida, man. He's just, just amazing. He's fucking, the dude is a straight rock and roll. I mean, he is Jimmy fucking page. The dude, the dude just slings it. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, not to be crass, but like, like his, you know, his dick is this big and has six strings on it. You know what I mean? Like that's Henry Wilson on stage, like commanding shredding, just so awesome to watch. And, um, and he's a sick drummer too so anyway i don't remember where i heard this but all of a sudden he's playing drums and floor they're back together and uh they come up to Gainesville to play you know me and ron kind of to try and like i think kind of do some stuff uh ron sass with, with gus and i think we borrowed henry's rehearsal space in winter haven um yeah so you know just became friends with, with him through borrowing his space and you know there's just that relationship that you have with just so many Florida bands. But I remember the, the two quintessential things happening. They came up, Floor came up to play and I think they played this venue, The Arc. And this would have been in 19, oh no, this would have been like 2001 or 2002. And they just recorded the self-titled record. It hadn't come out yet. Uh, they're back and they played it for me in their van. And I'm just like, oh my God. Like the first track, Scimitar, you know. Do do I'm like, Oh my God, this dude, this record is so fucking amazing. This is so sick and Steve's incredible vocals, but now there's vocal harmonies just like swimming over everything. And he was going in that direction. With, with a lot of their, you know, seven inch stuff, but I was just losing my mind. I just was so stoked on that record and the band and what was about to come. And then I think we played, then the record came out on no idea. And then I think we played a show with them at wayward council and it was like a son of a smaller show. So, so we played this thing and I think I came up and I, I insisted probably on singing one of the songs, you know, um, I think it's the song Lolita off that record. <laughs> um, just something that was really singy and, and anthemic. And I, or I I got up there or they, maybe they asked me to sing it. I don't remember. It was something like that. And I just got there and sang it. And I think between seeing me play that night and then singing the songs, I think it was really soon after that where I think Henry hit me up and he's like, dude, do you want to do some shows with this band? And i was like hell yeah i'm like what are you looking he said like, well you know you know the record has vocal harmonies on it you know it's like the guitar is a little more nuanced and we want to fill out the sound you know and they had done that in the past like they had had bass players before in fact ron who played in gus played bass and floor for a minute and uh for a while he did some shows with them and then um which is totally random but, uh, and which was awesome, by the way. One of the best times I ever saw that band play. They played the Harback Cafe. Ron was playing bass. Uh, and our friend Niles, I forget, came from work. It was Niles or Adrian. I forget. It was two, these two twin brothers, but came with like these, these, uh, cardboard tubes, you know, like the, the, maybe he worked at like a paper mill or something. And the whole place was just like fighting with these cardboard tubes, you know, and they were just like, you know, Just disintegrate, but it's like everyone's holding up these cardboard tubes. It was just really amazing. So weird shit like that would always happen. And they would just have these their smoke machines going. And that was always like a thing in itself. It's like, you know, to fog out a living room and then just, you know, just like the heaviest notes you've ever heard in your life. Oh, boom, boom, boom. You know, just like this just crushing earthquake of music would come at you. It was was awesome. And um, so you know, uh, I wasn't really doing much of the time. Strikeforce, Force wasn't really doing anything at that time. I wasn't really playing much music. I was actually working at a state theater building sets and I started actually doing some acting. So I was started, if you can believe it, just kind of doing plays and kind of getting into that, which, uh, of course, you know, Matt Sweetie, my cheerleader, pushed me into doing. But uh, they asked me to go on tour with them. They said, look, we want to fill out the sound. We need a guitar player. You you're totally could handle it. So. And that's what I did. So I I toured with them. And then I think the tour, and then we did, I think, the Midwest. And uh, I remember as first time I saw Mastodon was on that tour. And then we did a bunch, I think, a bunch of shows with High on Fire um, and Pelican, I think. And it was cool. It was awesome. It was really great. And just did, I mean, just so great to play these songs. It's not just the songs on a self titled record which were like phew, amazing but all their 7-inch stuff that I loved to play the song that was on like the the sister the other 7-inch uh Lonin. the song was called Lonin. and it was like their their really you know the first song on their first 7-inch uh you know that came out on Dirge Records Gus's first record first you know to play even that song which I just listened to over and over again I was just like dude I get to go on stage and play these fucking songs like it was great and Steve and I became very close um we all came close we became very close and um uh the next time around you know i guess there was some there was some you know there were some uh you know floor guys had a very tumultuous relationship you know um as many bands do and i think uh there was one tour where i think um anthony who i also really loved dearly anthony was really the spiritual kind of guide of that band we would talk about meditation you know he was really in a transcendental meditation and we would talk about you know other worlds and like you know I don't know like every conversation was always was very poignant and it was very yeah like I'd walk away going man I'm I'm definitely the dumbest guy in the room but I I'm, I'm so stoked to be here. So um all those guys just had such personality and um and it was tough too. You know the touring I did with floor was really hard because the tours sucked and they would they would be the first to say it like they just didn't have their thing yet you know they were trying to kind of they had kind of like had this little early 90s buzz going about them then they kind of disappeared really awesome record on no idea and the booking agent wasn't really on top like we'd, we'd show up at shows and kids would be like why are you playing this dumb fucking shitty bar? Like you, the the scene is down there. You should be playing this. Everybody would go. So it's like, I felt like we were, we were just sort of like off kilter and it was, it was a bit of a struggle. And then, um, that was it. That was the last time I played the last time I was, you know, you know, did anything with floor and, uh, time passed and, you know, and then Steve actually hit me up and, um, you know, said, Hey man, you know, I'm going to start a new band. And if you, you know, if you're into it, Juan Montoya is going to play. And I was just like, Oh dude, Juan Montoya. Fuck. Yeah. You know, I love Juan. I don't know if you know Juan Montoya, but uh, a a legend in his own right. (laughs) um, And an absolutely phenomenal guitar player and an absolute sweetheart of a guy. Um, God, you know, I had his artwork hanging up. He always draws some crazy weird artwork, but um, So I was stoked because, you know, I would see Juan playing bands like Ed Matusa Struggle or uh, before that a band called Pontius Pilot Um, and uh, really just awesome guitar player. He just had this like frantic kind of Dr. No meets Vernon Reed, you know, kind of thing. And I don't know what was going on. It was just so spastic and weird. And he, he played his guitar all hyped up. And yeah, he was just a, an awesome dude. And, um, anyway, so I was stoked. I'm like Steve, yeah. and Juan and Henry. And like, it was, was, it no, was, no, it wasn't, it was it Henry. I think we tried to get it together something to that extent. And I could be wrong, uh, but that's how I remembered, or we were getting floor back together with Juan and we started writing songs. Steve had actually come up to Gainesville a couple of times and we, you know, he was allowing me to contribute at this point. I was thrilled. Like, I was like, dude, I'm not really doing anything band wise. And, I know the formula like i I, you know let's do this so i threw out a couple riffs i threw out some lyrics that i had just a couple things (laughs) and then um a lot of that stuff just wound up becoming uh torch so that first torch record you know um there's some of my some of my riffage on there and some of my lyrics on there which is cool because it's another great band and i'm so proud of steve and uh those guys for doing everything they did with torch i mean another another awesome awesome band and incredible people
0: why didn't you uh why didn't you play more with them
1: i think it was just distance you know i think mm-hmm. it, i think it could easily happened, but i think um you know um um i just think he just you know uh he connected with those guys down there and um Jonathan Nunez and uh um you know i think just that made m- more sense you know and yeah, it totally, I totally got yeah. it. It was awesome. And Torch would come up and play and I was just like, dude, this is band it's amazing. And Juan, you know, being the ripper that he is, you know, really added like this, this, this super like rock and roll element to it. That was a lot of fun. Um, but every, all the Torch stuff I've really liked. I mean, I, you know, so yeah, it's cool. I mean, I, I know, you know, Steve and I talk now and again, you know, just a random text here, I'll find an old photo or I'll say, Hey man, how you doing? And we'll check up and, and yeah he's doing he's living the dream man he's out like in i think middle of oregon somewhere living on a farm just being steve doing his you know the quiet life growing his hair out being that guy so uh yeah it's awesome i mean like um you know, just thankful to have uh had an opportunity to express myself and and um and you know made some incredible friends along the way and uh you know got to you know you know, just travel extensively and make friends, you know, along the way that way too. I mean, it's, uh, it's really a special thing, you know, I, and, and I, I don't just, you know, music, you know, obviously does what it does. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you and I see, you know, a pretty massive record collection behind you. And, uh, so it's, it's, it's clear that, you know, what I'm talking about, but I think also, you know, any kind of element of, 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 connectivity that is cultivated nurtured within the sphere of creativity is a very different connection than like oh this is my bowling buddy or oh this guy yeah you know he works in my office or hey we went to high school together like that's all wonderful and great and great friendships can come out of everywhere but there but i maybe i'm i'm biased so maybe i'm you know maybe i'm not really the best person to uh to say this but I mean, I don't know who is, but you know, my experience has been like, I, here's what I can say when trying to describe what, what my, my life has been like having been involved in music the way I have, you know, people that have not had that experience, like, you know, don't you know find it very hard to believe that that exists whatever that is you know the sense of friendship or community I, I can actually you know my 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 partner sarah you know she's who's just the love of my life and an amazing human being and you know i sometimes i win you know she came from a very different world and she loves music and we went and saw pinback the other day in fact that was one of their, our connective bands you know um was pinback and, and and um she's introduced me to some music that i've never thought I'd be listening to. So, but, but, but generally, uh, you know, in, as 20 somethings, our worlds were a little bit different. And when I, when she meets the people that, that, that I'm close to, or meets my friends or like, you know, how do you know this guy? Who's this guy you know, and it's just like, she's always blown away by like, man, you know, you are so lucky that you had all of this, you know, just like, you know, and it's like, I didn't always have it, you know, Um, but I, I found it you know, and I, and I, and I, I'm so grateful that I did.
0: When Strikeforce Diablo reunited at Manufest last year, are you finding that there are kids who are discovering a band like that now? Or are you still getting new fans?
1: Yeah, uh, I think so. I mean, we're not very aggressive, you know, in terms of shows or in terms of promotion, you know, and internet, you know, presence or anything like that it's definitely there, you know, um, but to be fair, you know, and not remotely to be realistic, you know, we were never a a big band, you know, we were never a band to play in front of a lot of people. We were never a band to do really a lot. You know, we, we have the music that we have, uh, and, and I'm proud of it. And two of my best friends in the world are in the band with me and my brothers. I love so much. Um, and, and, but we weren't really, you know, particularly big band. Uh but um yeah, I mean, sure, it's there, you know. I even see it with Lepeche too, you know, like it's definitely there. And with Strike Force, we've sure. definitely had people that have come up to us uh after the shows and stuff and be like, God, oh, I, you know, I missed it the first time around. Yeah. I was only te- I was only 10, but you know. Um, Now I'm 30 and I'm so glad I got to see you guys, you know, so that is that is amazing. That's that's awesome.
0: Totally, because sometimes you think some, you know, with some of those bands, they're not going to get back together. Right. So when you get a chance to see a band like Strike Force, and also, you know, uh, shout out to Ashtray Monument, Uh, they put out. So do you have a copy? Uh, They put out this wonderful strike force diablo compilation i'm really glad this came out because i have i have the the seven inches and what have you and and the ep it's nice to just have everything in one collection now and be able to hear it without having to flip the record in five minutes you know yeah yeah
1: totally (laughs) totally and yeah we're super super thankful to drew um and the guys from ashtray uh for making that happen i mean you know uh, it didn't take much convincing. It's like, oh, you put out strike Strikeforce stuff? Yeah, have at it, <laughs> you know. But, um, I, you know, after learning about the label and seeing what he's doing and seeing what you're doing, it's like, man, it's just so awesome that um, that people are still doing stuff. You know, and I think that's just the important thing. You know, just people just you just have to do stuff, you know, and um, do stuff, make stuff, you know, and do it with love, you know, do it with kindness. Too. So, man.
0: I really appreciate the feedback on that, Drew. It means a lot and uh, grateful for having the opportunity to have you on the podcast and to tell your story in your own words and quite different than maybe doing an interview for a zine back in the 90s. This is something where now you have a chance to really look back and retrospect and speak Speak the words out loud and uh, share the experiences. And I know uh, if we were going through every single one, we'd be here for probably a couple weeks. (laughs) So, uh, uh, but, but, uh,
1: (laughs) yes. This could go on all, all yes, and,
0: but it's uh, been. It, I, I love to talk, so it's been great though getting a chance Thanks, to, to 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 document the story mm-hmm. and to hear about some of the bands you've been in and uh, maybe some of the bands that people may not have been aware that you were even in. And just, uh, I thank you a great deal. Yeah. Is there any last final words you want to share to just fans of yours, the f- people that uh, came out to all the shows over the years and still come out to see you play, even up in, up in New York or anywhere else that you may play gigs, uh, anything you want to share or quickly uh, acknowledge to the people who are fans of yours?
1: Oh, wow. That's uh, just, thank you. You know, thank you for, you know, allowing me you know, thank you for, uh, you know, singing lyrics back to me. Thank you for attending. Thank you for listening. You know, thank you for kindness, you know, thank you for accepting me, you know, all of, all of that, you know, absolutely a hundred percent. I mean, it just, it's, I don't know if I would have made it otherwise, you know, like it could, things could have, if I hadn't discovered music, you know, things could have went a very different way for me. And I can say that about a lot of my friends, you know, just South Florida is a weird place, man. And a lot of doing a lot of, very easy to do a lot of weird shit down there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm grateful that I found, uh, found just incredible human beings and, and people that allowed me to, you know, occupy the same air and learn something. You know, that's it.